Welcome to the Happy Whole You Podcast. I'm Anna Marie Frank, a doctor of traditional naturopathy and certified brain health professional. Now, those of you that know Happy Whole You, you know that we are all about health and well-being. And we combine all the physical aspects, nutritional aspects, as well as the energetic and emotional aspects to well-being. So on this podcast, you guys, you are going to get a variety of information with different topics that can range from brain health all the way to how your energy field impacts your overall health and well-being. Now, let me remind you that we are not giving medical advice on this podcast, and these are just our personal experiences and information that we are sharing. If you do have any physical or any mental challenges going on in your life, we highly recommend that you seek a medical professional that you have a strong relationship with. All right, you guys, we are going to get started. So here we go. guys, I'm excited to have Jennifer Fugo on today. She is a clinical nutritionist and she is empowering adults who have been failed by conventional medicine to beat chronic skin issues and gut challenges. She has experience working with conditions such as eczema, psoriasis, rosacea, dandruff, hives, and she has clientele ranging from regular folks to celebrities and professional athletes. She has also founded her own skincare and supplement line, and she is just an amazing human. Uh, she has a master's degree in human nutrition from the University of Bridgeport and is a licensed dietitian, nutritionist, and certified nutrition specialist. And she has been featured on the Dr. Oz show, Yahoo, CNN, and many podcasts and summits. Jennifer is a faculty member at Learn Skin at platform, the Learn Skin platform, and an Amazon best-selling author. So here we go, you guys. She's going to share some great tips with you. All right, Jennifer, thank you for joining me today on the Happy Whole You podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to chat all about eczema and rashes and whatnot. <laughs> so I still can't remember how I started following you or how our paths cross, but nevertheless, I love all the information that you put out there into the world because all too often, you know, I have clients that I see and they have skin issues and then they're really just like, well, I'm using this product and that product and the other thing, thinking that the lotions and potions are going to really remedy the skin issue. When what I love about you is you look internally, which we should be looking at what's going on within us because that's going to impact what is our skin is expressing. So how did you get into being a clinical nutritionist and really focusing on what's going on within people in terms of their skin and how that impacts them? Well, I had eczema on my hands. <laughs> Isn't that the way that most of us get into this is it happens to you or to a loved one and you want to try to solve that problem or crack that nut as they say. Absolutely. So I was in grad school working on my master's for human nutrition and I developed dyshidroidic eczema on my hands. And so for those who are like, I don't know what that is. It sounds very strange. It's basically a form of eczema that generally impacts the palms of the hands and the soles of the feet where you get these like clear pustules that show up. It's almost like little glass or fluid-filled beads under the surface. They get really itchy. It becomes very red, irritated. And then they sometimes will burst open and the skin just like is 
on fire. It feels awful. And then eventually it'll dry out. It'll seem to calm down. And then the cycle starts all over again. So it's it really is this nightmarish situation where, and it doesn't start all over. It usually is like a few little spots. And then it just keeps, every flare cycle gets worse and worse. So it started on the inside of my right middle finger. There's so much irony there. I'm like, my skin was <laughs> trying to tell me something. <laughs> uh, you have to have it. I really do feel like you have to try and keep a sense of humor through all of this because it can really like wreck everything. As many of you know who are listening, it's not fun to go through chronic skin issues. And I, I just always try and like keep a, as lighthearted as I can about my own health issues. But it eventually just started to spread up the fingers. It eventually impacted my nails. So my nails started to grow out really wonky. I had it on both hands. And you don't realize how much you do with your palms. You know, you forget that like turning a doorknob requires like putting pressure and twisting, which is really difficult when your skin is fragile. And it, especially in the winter time, because I live in a, a four season area. And as the fall would come into the art where I live outside of Philadelphia, my skin would completely dry out. So it was really angry, red, horribly itchy and painful during the summertime with these burning cycles of flares. But then in the wintertime, it would completely dry out. So every time I would even just like bend my fingers, every place there was a bend, the skin would split. And so it was extremely painful. I didn't want to wash my hands. And so that's really what drove me to say like, you know what, I want to try and figure this out for myself. My dad was a surgeon and he had given me some topical steroid and told me, he didn't tell me why, but he did tell me not to use it very often and to use it as sparingly as possible and try not to like use it every day and whatnot. And I appreciate that now in hindsight, because I know what steroid creams can potentially do with creating addiction and the body to them. But it was something where I just, I wanted to find answers and I felt like I'm on this mission to help people holistically. And yet, I can't figure out this health problem. And I tried all the stuff online. I tried the remedies. I tried the lotions and the salves and the organic this, that, and the other, and nothing really helped. And so eventually it took like a year of consistent work. And I I think I was like, all right, I think I figured it out. But I realized that I really didn't understand what was underlying it. It was a guess. And I also realized that so many other people are struggling. Like, I can't honestly believe it's 2022 and people still have these problems. And not only that they have these problems, but it takes years oftentimes for them to figure it out. I mean, I work with clients who've had eczema since birth or psoriasis since they were eight years old or whatever. And they're dealing with this this entire time. I'm like, how is this possible? Like, why don't we have better options. So that's what really drove me. And I started the Healthy Skin Show podcast and started my practice. And it's been been going <laughs> since then. <laughs> so when we're talking about these skin issues and going to the root of the issue, what are the common root causes of, you know, like the eczemas and the psoriasis and some of the things that you're seeing? One thing that I would say that's oftentimes surprising to people is that it's really not as diet focused as they'd like to think and that they've been led to believe. I know that, you know, everybody goes, oh, I'm going to see a functional medicine doctor. And I can tell you exactly what they're going to do. They're going to put you on an elimination diet. They're going to, probably going to give you probiotics, maybe tell you to take some fiber, give you vitamin D, maybe some omega-3s. And then they might recommend some topicals like, you know, some sort of salve or something. And that's about it. And and for some people, they do get better. 
but then other people don't. And I think most of the people who are not seeing improvements don't realize, and and the practitioners don't realize as well, because I think that's an important point to make because it's not, they don't learn about eczema and psoriasis and these other conditions specifically in like the Institute for Functional Medicine. That's not, you know, they're all kind of treated like gut problems. They're not gut problems. I do want to say that there is a gut component, but they're not gut problems. So you can't treat them like a gut problem and expect them to get better. They are a more systemic problem. They are more, they take a lot longer to go away. You cannot read a stool test for skin issues like you do for gut problems. It's not going to work. This is why people don't get better. So with eczema, for example, I do usually see things like nutrient depletions, even in people who eat like the best, the cleanest diet, (laughs) right? They've done AIP, they've done Whole30, they've done like sugar-free, salicylate-free, they don't eat eggs, they don't like, they've done like everything. And sometimes some individuals are on an extremely limited diet as a result. They've even done like the eczema diet and that hasn't helped. And So I want to look for what's going wrong. So these individuals, I'm like, okay, are you absorbing nutrients? Are we breaking them down into their smallest fragments? A lot of times there are gut dysfunction issues that are preventing appropriate digestion and absorption of nutrients. Additionally, we usually see some level of microbiome dysbiosis. Now on rare occasion, there are some people that they're just allergic to one thing in their environment. And it's a weird thing that no one would even think about. But that's not always the norm. And usually you can suss that out with like an allergist and the initial stages. But if you've had allergy testing done and that didn't show anything and and obviously cleaning up all your cleaning supplies and laundry detergents and that stuff isn't working and the diet stuff isn't working after I would say three months. Like if you can't see any... And I'm not talking like a little better. If you aren't significantly better by making dietary changes within three months, there are larger problems. So now we're looking for microbiome dysbiosis or imbalances. What bacteria, what organisms live there? What is the balance of your microbiome? We're looking for, as I was saying, those nutrient depletions. Your skin is an extremely hungry organ. It needs a lot of nutrients and it's also a low priority organ, believe it or not. So like, for example, you need your lungs, you need your heart, you need your brain to survive. You can have like burns all over your body and still you will live unfortunately. So we can have extremely compromised skin. And some people I work with, like they have rashes head to toe. They're shedding a half a cup of skin every day. They're in a horrific state. They're still alive. But if your brain goes, if your heart goes, the essential organs go. So that's what's going to suck up the majority of the nutrients first, not your skin. Um, We're also looking for liver detox challenges. Now, that doesn't mean you do a liver detox. It means are the phase two portion of liver detox and maybe phase three too, I guess we should focus on that as well a little bit. Um, So more elimination. But are those humming along appropriately? If not, and a lot of this goes back to nutrient sufficiency, because a lot of those pathways require certain nutrients to operate or different antioxidants like glutathione, for example, it can cause a buildup in the liver. And then things start getting pushed out. They can cause you to not feel well. It can contribute in some instances to elevated lipids. It can cause all sorts of dysregulation within 
your liver in general. Um, and, and not always, but many times a gut microbiome problem will heavily participate in this overabundance of toxins sitting waiting for the liver to clear it out because the waste products have to go through phase two detox. So again, it's looking at these different factors. I mean, obviously we're going to take into account environmental issues, allergies, mold, is there mold exposure and whatnot. Looking also at the microbiome of the skin and understanding is there this constant cycling through staph infections and whatnot. But I do think that it's a lot more full body than most people realize. They think the skin is just a skin problem. And that's how our medical system orients us, unfortunately. You know, my dad was an eye surgeon. He really only looked at the eyes. Sometimes if he started to suspect there was an issue in the brain, he'd then refer you to a neurologist. (laughs) So we, we get cut up right? Our body gets sliced right. and diced in <laughs> conventional medicine where nobody talks. But in when you take a step back and say, all right, if we're going to integrate this, then let's try to find the buckets that are really struggling and address those. And it works the same way for kids. I don't work with children or babies. I have a colleague who does, but they're a little different. So I just want to clarify that if there is any suggestions that I share today on here, I only work with adults. So teens on up, these may be good options, but obviously check with your doctor or your practitioner first before you make any changes. But these are not suggestions for babies and young children. They're just a little bit different of a, they're in a different space at that point. Mm -hmm. And that's just not my expertise. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So much good stuff there. And so my son, um, had eczema like when he was born and I was, this is over 12 years ago. And of course I would go to the dermatologist and they would give me steroids or they would give me these creams. And I was so resistant to even put them on him and I was breastfeeding. And so I'm like, what, like, what could this be? I'm doing like you know, what mother nature wants us to do. And yet this is still going on. And he continued to have skin issues here and there, but it was really over the last few years where I did some special things with him in terms of his gut, in terms of his liver. So those two you pointed out for adults and, um, you know, for, for me with my son, I addressed those things and uh, started hitting him on some plant stem cells actually within the last six months. And his skin is like, he runs dry, but ultimately, I mean, it's not, he literally would get cracks down his feet where mm-hmm. I didn't even want him to go in the ocean. Cause I was worried about what infections he could sure. get. Right. Like it's very, yeah, it's, it's very traumatic. And then, um, yeah. So I love what you're saying in terms of gut and liver. And I, you know, I never really thought about it, about how you said like the skin is one of the last things to get the nutrients. That's so powerful. And yet your skin is like the biggest organ in the body. Mm -hmm. So thank you for sharing that. Cause that totally kind of was like, Whoa, I didn't even ever put that together. And so that's very interesting. So if somebody is having an adult is having these issues with, um, the eczema and different skin things, where do you think they should start? Like if they've gone to the, if they've gone to their dermatologist and they've been giving these creams and all this stuff and nothing is working, they've worked on their diet, like you said, and they're still not significantly better. They're looking at their environment. Like what are like the low hanging fruit? You're like, you should start here. Well, I would say that looking more globally, 
than just at the skin is really important, right? So that's the first step. You have to embrace this idea. You have to buy in or else it's not going to work. I also will share, this is not a quick fix. So if you are looking for a quick fix and you think like some alternative way is going to fix you in like two weeks or that someone is promising that, I would caution you to be extremely wary because there's a lot of quick fix suggestions and things being advertised online. So just be mindful that this is a journey. A lot of times, even those who don't have any underlying gut problems, so maybe you poop one to three times a day, you don't have any gas or bloating, like literally no GI complaints whatsoever. So you would never even think to question what's going on in the gut. I've worked with people who have no gut symptoms and they have so much wrong with their GI tract. Why they don't have any symptoms, like open outward symptoms that flash like a red light to draw your attention there, I don't know. (laughs) But unfortunately, There is a lot of research that connects the two at this point. We look at, you know, also potentially like missing strains of of the commensal organisms that normally are healthy and help support and hold down the fort in the GI tract. Uh, They help keep opportunistic organisms like fungus in check. Some a lot. And and actually, uh, I will share one tidbit that I do know about young children and babies, which was helpful for me to know when I work with adults who've had eczema since they were a baby. My Jennifer Brand, who I send all pediatric requests to, I'd ask her, I said, what do you see in children? Like, what's wrong? <laughs> and she said a lot of times, like 90 some percent of the time, there is major gut dysbiosis. And while mom, you know, and so I want to be really cautious here. We love moms. I love my mom. I know that moms do such amazing, wonderful things and showing up for their kids' lives. And you would never want to do anything to your child that would harm them. So know that this is not any blame or anything, but you are passing on a microbiome and it may, for whatever reason, not bother you. But this child, it does. And so you may have dysbiosis. You've passed along this imbalanced gut to your baby. And now the child, because of whatever, genetics, epigenetics, who knows? Some Things get turned on. Things get turned off. They Their body just can't deal with it. It's going crazy. And you're like, what am I doing? I'm breastfeeding. I'm taking supplements. I eat a clean diet. I took out all these allergens. It's not working. It's the microbiome. And so that's one really big piece that Jennifer has conveyed to me. And so when we know that's the case, now we're like, okay, what was going on with mom? And sometimes, you know, if I'm talking to a client in her 70s, she may not remember. She can't go back and ask mom. But if you're in your 30s, you can go back and ask mom. And she may remember (laughs) and give us some clues. So moms, it does matter. Or If you're thinking about becoming a mom, it does matter what your microbiome is like. If you already have issues, you should think about like, geez, what's my timeline here? Maybe I should work on this before I get pregnant. So that way I have less of a chance of passing along skin issues, gut issues, et cetera. And it doesn't, you know, look, there may be a problem. There may not be a problem. Unfortunately, there's, you don't know. Everybody gets handed and dealt the cards that they get dealt. It is what it is. But, you know, also too, there are some organisms that can be passed through breast milk. So if you have an H. pylori infection, you can actually pass that through breast milk. So, you know, this is, so 
it, yeah. it, again, it's complicated. I would just say that think we want to think globally. We also want to think globally in terms of the timeline. Even years before you had an onset, like my my associate and I will dig through somebody's case and say, where have you traveled to? And they're like, oh, well, lately I've only been here, you know, especially with like all the things that have gone on. Most people haven't traveled that much in the last two to three years. But I'm like, no, no, no. I want to know it all. Where have you gone? Even since you were a kid, were you going and swimming in lakes and streams? Did you travel to here? There, you know, they people discount that all these things matter, and they may say, yeah, yeah but I came back and I was fine. I said, it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean you might have picked up one little thing. And over the years, it grew. It made more friends. <laughs> And now you have a lot of unfriendly tenants in your gut you didn't intend to have, and they're yeah. causing a problem. We all assume that having dysbiosis or getting an infection or parasites or something like that means that you got violently ill and you kind of never got better from that point, and that's not true. So we really want to look at that piece of it. Um, I also like to take a look at labs and dig even deeper into those labs. Sometimes we can find um, disturbances that sort of like with the the idea of a smooth pond, there's just these subtle, you know, undulations on the surface, you know, to a, uh, to a traditional doctor, they might not pick it up. They might think it's not a big deal. It's normal. And I'm like, no. Something is <laughs> wrong here. We need to dig. What's going on? Is it a nutrient issue? What is driving this problem, this subtle problem right now? Um, so look at your your history. Look at your exposures. Think about, you know, where did you grow up? I had one client who grew up in farm country. I think she grew up in Kansas and totally forgot that as a child, they crop dusted the fields around her house all of her belongings outside were coated in pesticides oh, yeah. and they would run around in it like it was rain and play on all the toys with the dust all over them. She didn't realize that she had this huge, huge exposure to chemicals throughout a lot of her childhood because of where she grew up. And so all of this is important. It helps set the stage, you know, and then looking at other factors like mitochondrial issues, traumas, how your body is, how resilient your body is to stress. We can also have reactions to drugs. You can have, like, believe it or not, there are certain medications that can actually just cause eczema and it's just oh, a reaction yeah. to eczema. There's, it's the same with like psoriasis, you know, so you want to make sure, like, look up the medications you're on and then think about timeline. Ooh, could this have been a reaction? And then talk to your doctor about it. And so I like to go down a number of different avenues and look at the picture from you know, take the box and turn it and look at it from this corner and then that corner and see what starts to make sense. It's one reason like I have on my website, a really great tool called the Skin Rash Root Cause Finder. And it's like 16 pages long. You check off all of these symptoms and it helps tell you like, all right, here's probably where my root causes are and I need to dig further. And I think that that's a really important tool because it helps orient someone toward actual things you can address. You know, I think people get scared when they start hearing, oh, I have leaky gut. Guess what? I'm going to bust some myths real quick. Leaky gut's not a problem. 
It's not the problem, so don't focus on it. Most likely, you probably have leaky gut. You don't need a test to tell you that. So you want to find out why the gut is leaky. That's more important, and that's your root cause to addressing leaky gut. And you also cannot seal up a leaky gut if you don't take care of the problems causing it to be leaky in the first place, which a lot of times has to do with what is living in the GI tract. You can have other factors like NSAID use, chronic high-intensity exercise. Possibly some people are sensitive to gluten and have lost that tolerance to regain those tight junctions between the cells, but that's not everybody. But a lot of times there's stuff in the GI tract causing that. You can't seal it back up if you don't remove what the problem is. So, you know, and then also too, looking at your thyroid, really important to get your thyroid checked because even like... Hashimoto's and low thyroid problems can trigger dry, extremely dry skin and rashes. You know, so different things. Look globally and stop blaming food as the sole reason why you have rashes because you might not be reacting to the food itself. You might not be sensitive to the food itself. You might actually be reacting. The react, or excuse me, the reaction you're experiencing is the inappropriate interaction between the food that may not be digested appropriately and your gut microbiome. So, you know, I think that's important because we're very oriented to blame food and to start this war in the skin world, especially with eczema. Like, oh, you've got to take out all these foods. And I'm not of that mindset. I want to try and reintroduce things as quickly as possible that make sense. And if they don't, if you do react to it, it's cool. Let's take it out for another month or so. Let's keep doing work and let's try to reintroduce it. The goal should be always the most diverse diet possible. This idea that you have to stay on AIP or stay on low histamine or whatever for the rest of your life is ridiculous and impractical. So, yeah, and I love that. I mean, you know, when I work with clients, I always talk to them about how we're working on foundations of health, right? It's never just one thing. And we're so good in the US about saying it's this one thing and looking at everything as if it's not connected to the other, which is crazy. And I love how you shared you know, go back and let's look at the big picture, the whole picture, because, you know, when I think of, and I'll just go back to my son, because we did have this experience with eczema for a while. One, I I grew up out, uh, you know, in country, I drank from a well. I also, before I got pregnant with my son, and while I was pregnant with him, I was still competing and racing and doing long interval training and aerobic training under a high amount of stress. I had, um, you know, like all the things. And so I always felt like part of his skin issue was the amount of stress I was under when I was pregnant with him and when I had him and, you know, he was a surprise. So that causes its own stresses (laughs) as, you know, as a mom. So, and then my daughter, on the other hand, she's like no skin issues at all. Right. And it's like, okay, like this is, you know, and then there's dad's genes and all that. But I I just really think it's so powerful for everyone listening to remember to look at the, we got to look at the whole picture with everything in terms of your foundations of health and what you've been through in the past and for, for really anything beyond mm-hmm. just just skin issues. And we don't, I don't think we spend enough time looking at the big picture to dive in. Yeah. And the other thing I'll also add is that you do want to take into account the medications that you've used, not just as I shared, like, could they have been a trigger, but 
if say you use topical steroids for like 30 years, which right, that is like the most common thing. You have a rash, oh, doctor yeah. gives you steroids and they just keep usually telling you to use it more frequently, giving you a higher potency. Well, topical steroids, just an example, reduce, they, they suppress your immune system. They make you a lot more susceptible to fungal overgrowth. They also cause issues with your adrenal glands. For those of you who aren't aware, you can look up something called topical steroid withdrawal, and it is very serious. And it is unfortunately a situation if you have extremely severe full body eczema, especially where the eczema has moved far beyond where the original rashes were. It doesn't make any sense. You want to rule out a staph infection, but if that's the case, you do want to consider that it could be TSW because eventually your body stops reacting to the steroids and it causes a dependency because it shuts down the HPA axis. So that's something to consider. Then on the flip side, if you've been on a lot of biologic drugs, now for eczema, there haven't been that many. We're sort of at the beginning of this. Dupixent is the main or dupilumab, which is the, I guess, the more official non-branded term. That's been around for a number of years. It's pretty much been the standalone until more recently. But like with dupilumab, there's been issues with it in that some people, they clear really great. Other individuals start to get this burning redness of their upper chest, shoulders, neck, and face. And that it can be significant of an underlying reaction to malassezia, which is the fungal organism that lives naturally on your skin. It's a commensal organism, but your body starts to literally think it's like almost like an allergic reaction in a sense. And with some of the other medications, you know, with like if you're given cyclosporin and immunosuppressants, like those put you at greater risk again for fungal issues. And we focus mostly on like, well, it must be on the skin. No. You know, now we're starting to see JAK inhibitors come onto the market, all sorts of stuff. It's interesting. It's very exciting if you're a dermatologist because a lot of their toolbox for eczema has been very constrained to antibiotics uh, you know, antihistamines and whatnot, and and dupixin. You know, we, they've had some creams that have been you know relatively helpful, but the, we're we do slightly wonder what the long term impacts are of those creams. But just think about it because it can it do, just because you might have like fungal overgrowth issues don't necessarily mean you have to have a skin fungal overgrowth. You can have internal fungal overgrowth as a result of using those. And there are certain red flags for that. Like if you have rashes in the like sweaty areas, so like the back of the neck, under the armpits, in the ear, the back of the knees, the eyes of the elbows, in the groin, those are all red flags for a internal fungal problem. You could have, you could have an overgrowth on the skin. But it also, if you have an overgrowth on the skin, it's most likely a reflection of what's going on in the GI tract. And if you have mold in your home or a significant mold exposure, that's another problem. Because if you're in a moldy environment, mold is fungus. Same family. If you're in a fungally environment, you're going to end up with fungal issues. Um, even if you've never had a, like a vaginal yeast infection, for example. So just keep in mind that the medication history, your use does matter. That said, I never want a medication shame. I have plenty of clients who... You still use topical steroids that are still using their Dupixin, or maybe they start on Dupixin because they just can't tolerate going through protocols or just so react reactive and they need something to kind of tap out a little bit, you know, because quality of life is really, really important. Nobody wins a prize for suffering. 
I just want to say that. That's really, really important. So there should be no judgment. If you choose to use pharmaceutical agents along with if you decide to do the more natural alternative route, you should never feel judged. You should never just go in with your eyes wide open. That's why informed consent is so important. Know the pros, know the cons, ask your questions, and then decide if it's right for you. But you can absolutely do them together. With immunosuppressants, you have to be a little more careful because they impact the way they're metabolized in the liver. There's there's a lot of herbs that you cannot use with them because they change the way that the genes uh, and that the enzymes in phase one detox will metabolize those. So just be aware of that. The immunosuppressants are a little trickier, but you can do them together. You can also, like with Dupixent, you can wean off of Dupixent. It's one of the easier biologics to wean off of. And so I just want to give everybody that like space to know you can do these together. You can choose what's best for you. It's totally okay. And there are options. I think that's really important to know. Yeah, yeah for sure. So if you were to give everyone like three things that they could actually take action towards today to get to, you know, the root or to support what's going on externally and internally, what would those three things be? I would definitely, the first thing is, these are the first things I have all clients start on. So number one, we always want to start with liver support. Usually the most basic and simple is you get some glycine powder. Glycine is an amino acid. Uh, It's very cheap and (laughs) not many people react to it. Um, Some people even find it helps them sleep better at night. And you want to take somewhere around three to five grams of that a day. And so get the powder, not the pills, because you're going to be swallowing a lot of pills. And it also is a little sweet. So you could also use it as a sweetener or you could throw it in a protein shake or in some yogurt or something. And so that's a really easy, simple thing to do Uh, that helps support phase two liver detox, specifically the glycine pathway. I actually think most people can benefit from a little bit of B6. Now, how much B6 you would actually need would really be dependent on your labs and what would be recommended to you uh, from a practitioner because you can overdose with B6. So we want to be careful there. I feel like it's pretty safe if you look at your supplements and you're somewhere between the like 10 to 15 milligrams range, you're probably fine. A little bit is helpful for your liver enzymes and other things. So liver detox right there, that's really helpful. And then the other thing that I think is great is to look at gut function. So that elimination part. So are you eliminating or pooping one to three times a day. And what's the consistency of the stool? Is it like really loose and you have diarrhea? Is it really hard or you are doing pebbles? That's still constipated, by the way. Um, We want to get to that healthy snake because you need to be eliminating every single day. If you're not doing that, you literally can't progress onward. Like we give clients protocols to address that. Guess what? You can't get any further. We have to get you pooping. So that's a really, really crucial step. So that's step number two. In terms of, I would say the next phase would be like getting appropriate labs and looking for those nutrient issues. And I actually have a great article on my website that lists out my favorite labs for skin issues, including people who may have like some histamine issues. So you can like customize the panel and bring it to your doctor and just say, these are the labs that I love for you to run for my annual labs and get them covered by insurance, which is great. And then I would say the last thing would be to consider possibly doing a stool test but please don't buy a test from like anything that's being marketed to you because those tests, am I allowed to mention a name? 
Okay, don't buy Viome. Please don't buy a Viome test. They're marketing oh, hard. Thank you for that. They're like pushing, like, and they're really targeting people who have chronic skin issues. I've seen a lot of ads for psoriasis. I've seen ads for eczema. Don't waste your money. It that in and of itself is almost covers what most other clinical labs, clinical stool tests cost. You cannot make any protocols. As a practitioner, if you bring that to me, I'm going to go, I'm really sorry. You have to get this stool test. I can't do anything with that. So save your money and mm-hmm. get a test that a clinician yeah. can actually work off of. Those tests are a complete waste. They give you this wackadoo diet and super, they call things super foods that you should eat that make no sense. And that is not going to be helpful. So I would, I would, again, I think if you know that you are not allergic to things and you know that you do not react to like squash or avocado or beef or something like that, eat those things. <laughs> Don't go buy that test and be like, oh, this is going to clear up my skin. I'm going to tell you it's not. And what's going to happen is even if you do see an improvement and you try reintroducing, you're going to flare back up. That's not the problem. There's something deeper going on. And I'm sure, you know, Anna Marie can also testify that like someone brings that lab in and you're like, I'm really sorry, but there's nothing I can do. And I feel bad saying that because I really do like to try to work with people, but there's nothing I can do. And that, so basically, if you've seen an ad online, if you've gotten an email from somebody in the health and wellness space that you follow and they're like, hey, if you go through this link and you use this coupon code to get $50 off, don't buy that lab. That's a Viome deal that is going, it wastes your money. It wastes your money and your time. And don't, just don't do it. Yeah. So back in the day, Najim Jame, who invested in Viome, one of the, he's, I think he is the founder. I don't know if he has partners, maybe whatever, but I found it very interesting. And so I went and I did the test before I recommend any supplement, most any supplements or anything. I like put, I'm like, you know, the guinea pig. I do it on myself first and see. But what I found interesting was everything that I would eat would come up on the test as I'm sensitive or as like, these are bad foods for me. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, wait a minute. So then I waited and then I was eating, like I changed all the foods that I was eating. Right. And those same foods that were my superfoods before then became my sensitive foods. Of course. So it was like very, very confused. And then it was like advertising to sell me all sorts of supplements and, and different things that would adjust that. And so, yeah, it was pretty pretty disappointed to say the least with it within that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's my, that's my two cents on that. Yeah. And then I love your comment about pooping. So one of the very first questions that I ask clients is about their bowel movements because it's so important. And what's I find really interesting is some people will say, oh, I go like every like two to three days, maybe every three to four days. But my doctor says that that's normal and that's how I've always been. And so like, it's not a big deal. And I'm like, this is a big deal. Like, and so for everyone listening out there, if you are telling yourself, well, I've always been this way, so it's not a big deal. You're, it is a big deal. And we should be pooping and eliminating, you know, that is one of our main detoxification pathways and there's five of them total. And so if that one's clogged up, then the other ones I have to work harder or they could be clogged up too. And then you're storing and then it could be coming out in your skin and all the things. 
And even for people who have like that histamine reactivity where they react to even leftovers and they can't eat fermented foods and wine Mm -hmm. flares them up. I mean, wine's tricky. Alcohol is like could be fungal, could be histamine. So it's like trying to piece through their diet and see how reactive they are to other things. But if you have a histamine overload picture, and especially if you've got hives and dermatographia where like you could just like, you know, run your nail down your skin and you welt up. It's like you could draw on yourself, literally. You have an excess amount of histamine in your system. And when you aren't pooping regularly, you're allowing this – so your liver – this is a little cool little tidbit we can end on. Your liver deactivates your estrogen. It's really responsible to maintain the level of estrogen in your system. And so the liver will deactivate the estrogen that it doesn't need anymore and send it through bile to your gallbladder, assuming you have one. Otherwise, it'll just end up getting dumped into your small intestine. Either way, it doesn't matter whether you have a gallbladder or not. This all still applies. So anyway, the deactivated estrogen floating down your GI tract because you're supposed to poop it out, right? That's how we get rid of it. Well, there's some uh, bacteria, specifically gram-negative bacteria like E. coli, for example. Not necessarily bad E. coli. We have commensal strains of E. coli. Yeah. But it has an enzyme called beta-glucuronidase that can turn that deactivated estrogen back on. Now you've got this reactive form of estrogen that is not friendly to your system. And because you're not pooping to clear it out, it gets reabsorbed. So now you end up in an estrogen dominant state and high levels of estrogen in your system make you even more reactive to histamine. So it's like this vicious cycle. So even just from that perspective, if you're like really itchy and you're taking antihistamines and they're not working and you get hives and all this jazz, you gotta make sure you're pooping. It's really, really crucial because Like if you say one, if you're like, I really want to work on my gut. I really want to work on my gut. Okay. Well, I can't give you any type of herbs to work on your gut that would say address like unfriendly bacteria or overgrowth because you're just sitting in the waste and that's cause you to flare. So you want to get pooping because you need to have that, as you said, the elimination path moving. It's really, really crucial. And it, that's why these are like the first steps that we ask every client to do. And so there you go. <laughs> everybody, everybody poops. Remember that book when you were little? <laughs> it is a wonderful book. <laughs> it should say everybody should poop daily. <laughs> they should add that in. That should be yes. grilled, grilled into us as a child. Yes. Um, it is really, really important, especially because the more constipated you become, you can have impactions, you can end up with hemorrhoids, all sorts of problems. It's just not good. And, and it can be too, if you really can't, you know, the other thing I'll just share, I think is important. If you're using laxatives every day or Senna tea, you know, just be careful with those. They are addictive to your colon. Yes, your colon can literally become addicted to laxatives, and they are very hard to get off of. So before you go that route, try some of the other things like magnesium citrate and figuring out what the right dose is for you, maybe some aloe juice, as long as you don't have a latex allergy. So try some, like maybe even prune juice. I don't know, but try some of those other things. Increase the amount of water that you're drinking. Get some movement into your body. 
do different things to try and naturally increase fiber. If those things are not working, then you know you got a real problem under the surface. Yeah, definitely. Oh my gosh, Jennifer, thank you so much. So much great information for all our listeners. And thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us today, you guys, on this Happy Whole You podcast. We are so stoked that you are listening. And if you have questions or want to reach out to us, you can always email us at info at happyholeyou.com. And you know where to find us at Happy Whole You on Facebook and at Happy Whole You on Instagram. So have a wonderful day. Have a great week. And we will see you soon.